0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM.
1: <laughs> Creek. good morning and welcome to After 9, the Monday morning wake-up call. I'm here again today with Phyllis Warren and Alan Wishart. Morning. Thank you guys for joining me. And our guest today is Stuart Parker. Stuart is a, what I like to call, a highly intellectual gentleman. I absolutely love his ideas, his political and uh, general intelligence of what he is fighting for and doing within our province and country. Uh, Stuart was a member of the NDP party In he quitted in 2018 and he is the past leader of the Green Party. I highly recommend to go to his uh, website. He has a blog and take a gander today we're going to be talking about uh education kindergarten through 12 the americanization of education and what prejudice and things have done within our school system as well as um basically being forced to learn american schooling Stuart, how are you today my dear
2: oh i'm doing just fine thanks uh thanks for the call
1: echo hey no problem man um Seriously, I just find the things that you're uh, trying to do within the province very good, and uh, you are highly involved in the education system. Can you tell us a bit about that?
2: Well, sure. I um, so uh, I'm uh, both of my parents were teachers, and uh, for um, the past uh, since 2008, I've uh, worked as a uh, university uh, lecturer. Uh, while uh building up uh, my uh non profit education uh institute uh Los altos Institute, so we do zero barrier reading groups we do college level courses we do uh intensive teaching retreats, all of which we 'll be doing uh this year again but um <clears throat> My interest in the sort of policy file goes back to my time as leader of the Green Party, because that was the beginning of um, the um, current set of education policies that we've seen implemented by our provinces' two-party consensus. Or as I've increasingly come to think of it, British Columbia is more one party and two factions. Uh, So... Uh, many people don't realize that a lot of our education austerity policy came out of the NDP's second term in government during the 1990s. That's when they stripped uh, school districts of their ability to negotiate contracts with local teachers and brought in this system of high-level brinksmanship uh, that we've seen ever since. What is brinksmanship?
1: Could you... Could you explain brinksmanship to us? I'm not clear.
2: Well, um, so what the province used to be, you see, when every school district had its own contract with its own workers, those contracts would end at different times. So there might be labor disputes in the school system, although they were quite rare because local teachers were quite evenly matched with local school boards once it became a province-wide one-size-fits-all contract negotiated by the provincial government and imposed on the school boards it means that when um, uh... the province overreaches all of our provinces schools uh... go on strike at once it's highly disruptive uh, across the entire province and of course people are more likely to go on strike when it's impossible to make their contracts sensitive to local conditions the needs of the school in wells are simply go and the needs of its workers are going to be very very different than the needs of schools um, on vancouver's downtown peninsula and the ability to accommodate those needs has really disappeared, so that the province can engage in these really high-stakes negotiations in an effort to prevent teachers from being paid as much as they're paid in the other three western provinces. Let's remember that Jason Kenney's Alberta pays teachers better than John Horgan's BC.
1: Wow. 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 So in light of that, another thing that I was um, amazed to find out is the uh, school board funding for the Prince George area is more than the budget for the whole city. We're talking huge amounts of dollars here, and we have people questioning the education system if our children have even properly been educated because there's so many folks coming out of... uh, grade 12 that are trying to get into trade schools that just don't even have the education, uh, and it doesn't matter who they are, Caucasian, Native, anything, that have the tools to even get into trades. So where have we slipped? I remember well, when I was... I think
2: you're right on about the trades, so- Right, mm-hmm. But we, what we decided in the 90s is that not only are there no different kinds of school districts, there aren't different kinds of people. There aren't different kinds of students. The provincial government, when when the NDP got in, in the 90s, they were initially very interested in investing in the trades, and then they did not follow through. And in fact, whenever we've had education austerity... Whether those cuts have come from Christy Clark or John Horgan or Glenn Clark or Gordon Campbell, all four of them have brought in austerity in our schools. Those cuts are concentrated on what are thought of as elective programs, and and particularly elective programs that involve specialized rooms. So music, art, metal shop, wood shop, auto shop have faced um, the most consistent cuts. The only specialist programs where we've increased funding at all have been English as a second language. And that's because... School boards that can't make ends meet are encouraged to go to the Global South and recruit non-English speaking students for high substantial fees that are then paid to teach English, but in fact don't end up getting paid. they spent on ESL. A bunch of money comes in. Most of it is just thrown into filling the holes that the cutbacks have caused over the past 24 years. And so we end up with both underserviced ESL students and native English speakers who never receive any grammar training above a remedial level education. Meanwhile, folks who want blue-collar jobs as opposed to white-collar jobs have seen their art room, their music room, and their shop shut down at school.
1: Yes. Yes. Phyllis, do you have something to add? Um, this is just amazing, you know, like um, there's an overabundance of people who need help out there right now, and they're not getting the proper education. Yeah, so Stuart, is that, um? it seems that we, I, I remember when I myself was going to school, and, uh, you know, I wasn't the most uh, fitting student for the way children are taught. I kind of guess I had a bit of an art brain or something, I don't know, but the way the regular but they seem to have answers in the backs of the books and and you know it just seemed to be all from the United States and we weren't learning a lot about Canada it was all it all seemed to be kind of not privatized out but it was like contracted out or something Um, how how did all of that come about when we started to kind of Americanize our education system
2: Well, this has been a process that has hurt Americans far more than it's hurt us, because let's be clear, nobody's being Americanized. The two big textbook purchasing authorities in the United States are um, are based in Texas and California, and so it's the values of those societies that tend to be most highly represented in textbooks that aren't geographically specific. So when it comes to chemistry books and the like, you're seeing us piggybacking these huge textbook purchasing authorities uh, because the unit costs of the books go down. The larger the volume they're ordered in, the cheaper the books are. And again, if you're in a constant drive for austerity where the province is always cutting your operating funding, you're going to make those kinds of concessions anywhere you can so that you can keep paying for Canadian social studies textbooks because those have to be Canadian.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, can you explain to me? I know I sound like a bit of a duh duh here, but, um, austerity. Give me, give me the, um. Well,
2: since the 1990s, right, that has been the basis of. So, in the 1990s, the Soviet Union fell, and, uh, the beginning of the 90s, and what that meant was, um, capitalists in the world outside of the East Bloc were able to look around and say, Many of these social programs we've been running, we were running as part of the Cold War to show that capitalism could deliver social programs just as well as communism could. Well, there is no communist threat anymore, so why are we funding all these programs? And so there has been a drumbeat ever since the 1980s um, towards more privatization, more tax cuts, more spending cuts. And it's never enough
1: well we've dealt with this through um <clears throat> excuse me sorry for interrupting but we dealt with this through our department of highways through any government oriented um That's so right. so we <clears throat> we seem to be stuck in this uh let's make a decision to fix this problem we have here it doesn't matter how it snowballs down the road seems to be the way that uh that things have been going and everybody's trying to spend the money that they were given even if they don't need it because if they don't spend it all then they're not going to get it Back That's the certainly following.
2: true as well, right? BC Transit was cut by the Horgan government because it saved too much money during uh, the first months of COVID. So yes, it's important always to uh, to send that, those uh, those budgets off. But uh, the thing is, of course, contracting out and privatization don't necessarily save anyone any money at all. True. Period. They're simply a myth. You take something like BC Rail whose assessed value was $1.1 billion, an asset that made money for the government every year and that, of course, owned all kinds of property. And we sold it for $99 million. That's at a 91% discount for the private company that bought it. And of course that deal was so corrupt that two uh, that two senior civil servants ended up doing time for it. So we have a situation where there's the rhetoric of savings but there isn't actually the experience of savings the sense is that oh, if we sell something off or cut something back that that's going to save us money and one of the big problems we have in this government is that unlike every previous government that's taken power in bc they did not fire the senior advisors of the last government so the Fraser Institute fellows, the C.D. Howe Institute fellows, the authors of those austerity policies are still deputy ministers in a government that claims to be socialist.
1: Truly, truly. And it's also confusing these days uh, who you're really, I think it's we're getting down to good and evil, basically, because we have the B.C. liberals saying, oh, we're not, uh, we're not, partial to the uh, federal liberals so and then we take it again we can go beyond the bcr and go back to the cn sale because back in the early 80s i actually was employed by the railway and could never figure out why they weren't fixing the washrooms in the via can in the in the uh in the via uh trains why uh as a laborer we were ripping apart track and and uh, fixing it that was going to be being sold for pennies on the dollar, as you said, with cN rail to whoever it was that purchased that, who I believe were the purchasers of bcr so how do we take our take our commonwealth back how do we how do we go about doing this and and grasp our education? I was sitting in the pub the other day, and I look at a cNC coaster that they're um uh, th- putting out on the table. And a, a Canadian college has put out a coaster that says, History, I have not yet begun to fight with John Paul Jones. Now, wouldn't you think a promotional thing for a uh, college or university here should have Canadian statements on them? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just really pro-Canadian, <laughs> and I don't know what to say about it.
2: Well, um, you've got to remember that the Canadian higher education system is a parasite on the uh... middle-class people in the global south right The reason our budgets are balanced is because uh, farmers in uh, Punjab are taking out a second mortgage on their farm to send their kid here to pay quadruple or quintuple what we pay in tuition fees. And so the whole thing is outward looking. Many universities in B.C. use professional ropers. These are guys who know nothing about higher education. They just are good at uh, high-pressure commission sales. And so if they rope somebody in Dubai for a four-year degree at $40,000 a year... Um, They get a clean third of that as a commission right out the gate. So that's 50 grand that a commission salesperson is making. So, yeah, you get tacky knickknacks. You get um, things that have nothing to do with Canada because um, the advertising presence of an institution like CNC um, doesn't point at uh, Canada. It accepts Canadian students, even though they're a drain on its budget, because it has to. And then it has to find some other way to make ends meet. But as to the question of how to turn this around, um, I'm an expert on failing to answer that question. (laughs) Uh, I've got nothing intelligent to say about that. I have sure put in a lot of work but i don't think i've learned very much
1: yeah oh my goodness <laughs> well i i honestly don't believe that Stuart. and i know you're going to be one of the biggest contributing factors to it hey can we come back in a couple of minutes here Or you've sure, got you time great. to come back okay we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back talking with Stuart parker on after nine there's a river.
3: a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world, produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service.
4: Listen for Wings Wednesday nights at 8.30 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The public is advised that a CC-177
3: Globemaster III aircraft from 429 Transport Squadron based out of 8-wing Trenton is conducting cross-country flying training in the Prince George area today. Training may include low approaches as well as landings and takeoffs from the airport. Squadron members are following all COVID mitigation measures and will be minimizing contacts by remaining in the aircraft during all stops. Note that RCAF aircrew adhere to strict rules and regulations at all times to ensure public and personal safety.
4: Minds in Motion is a weekly program for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each session consists of a 30-minute fitness video, followed by 45 minutes of social time and opportunity to connect with others living with dementia. Sessions are available Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings and Tuesday through Friday afternoons. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Society of BC, Minds in Motion sessions are free to attend. For more information or to register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at one 800 936 66033.
3: Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today becoming sunny this morning. Winter to 15K, a high of 4 with a wind chill this morning to minus 11. A few clouds tonight, a fog patch is developing overnight. Wind continuing, a low of minus 9 with a wind chill to minus 12. For Tuesday, mainly sunny, wind from the south at 20, gusting to 40 in the afternoon and a high of 4.
0: Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, here we are back with After
1: 9, and Stuart Parker, uh, the uh, former leader of the Green Party from 1993 to 2000, prior to that was uh, active with the NDP, a uh, substantial and continual figure in the political and educational fields in British Columbia. Now, Stuart, your uh, blog is, I must say, highly amazing. It talks about uh, things that are just so prevalent today. I highly recommend a thesaurus as you've (laughs) noticed today (laughs) earlier, but uh, you love to talk about the geopolitical and racist pseudoscience of the day that we seem to fall victim to. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here. We've got unions in the play. We've got politicians in the play. We have a global economy in the play. Um, you say you've got no answers for us But I honestly don't believe that Because you're working towards Getting groups together to talk about these things So,
2: Well that's at least the I mean the thing is Human intelligence is a networked intelligence yes. It always has been that uh, That's why we Converse the way we do It's why we exchange stories It's because um, Human beings by ourselves Are not very bright And <laughs> When we network our intelligence, we can do really amazing things. And so when Thomas Paine in the during the American Revolution wrote about the idea of common sense, his idea was that if we could just get everyone a basic level of civics education and a basic level of literacy, we could make decisions as a society by thinking out loud together. And great things were achieved with that belief in common sense. And I continue to subscribe to the common sense tradition. But I think what um, the major corporations, the major elites of this world have figured out is that you can make us dumber by controlling how our intelligences are networked. And so that's why we see Um, The manipulation we do uh, with television starting in the 1950s, with radio starting in the 1920s, and of course, with all this new social media technology, so much is being done to corrupt that network and to uh, make us unintelligent. So... In that way, I am responding in a pretty basic way, which is just getting conversations going and reaching above or past the things that are uh, the things that are damaging our networked intelligence. And I think we've got to be realistic. I know some people are like, "Well, why would why would Facebook or Twitter care whether?" you know, left-wing people or people who are questioning the state are smart or dumb. And it's like, well, these are giant, very lucrative monopolies. And the stupider we are, the easier we are to manipulate, the easier we are to get money from. And so um, I think one of our big challenges today is that some hashtag will appear on Twitter, and it will become a thing that people have to affirm if they want to stay in their social community? Whether they're religious folks, whether they're um, you know left wing folks, whether they're feminists, whatever they are, there'll be some thing that will put out there that will. That will divide a community. And if you don't, if you don't go along with the current fad intellectually, um, you face steeper and steeper social consequences. And so, uh, you know, we need to build more counterweights into our society to deal with that. And COVID's been a real blow, right? All kinds of programming we were doing face to face. We're now having to do online, and you can never, you can never create that special bond that exists when you're figuring things out with people in person. You can do your best to substitute for it, but I think that's one of the reasons we're having a really tough year is that our the damage to our network um, has intensified the past year.
1: And at the same time, it's uh, excuse me shown a lot of. where we're lacking in a lot of ways as well Um, especially with the in concern to classrooms and having as you say people brought together in the social network a lot of are having to learn as um, what do you call that correspondence is what it used to be called and now it's it's uh, just a normal way of doing things so we have nurses being trained, uh, doctors being trained, uh, educators being trained without the communication with each other to get each other's perspectives and intentions and uh, we have probably nurses I can't even imagine how they're being trained to sh- to to um, give people shots like well, what are we doing how are we going to make up for these these downfalls or, or who is even going to admit I mean we can't even get these government people or or anybody to admit that they're basically in their jobs because they're holding on to power in some way, any way they can, right?
2: So, um, I mean, I think there's, we are going to have to, uh, and we are heading back to a life where we can get back to touching each other. The key thing is going to be fighting um, for the restoration of the services we had before. Because all kinds of universities have realized that they can charge the same amount of money for something they're um, delivering online, mainly with pre-recorded content, uh, that they might not even have to hire an instructor to replace. So there's going to be a huge push on the part of governments to show that we can have all these savings by just bringing in distance education for everything. And what's going to be crucial... As for there to be a mobilized social movement opposing that, that um, regular folks who are consumers of the education system, whether they have younger kids, older kids, or no kids, we all benefit from that system. And it'll be really important to have um, a society-wide push to restore proper interactive learning, especially at the post-secondary level. At, of course, the elementary and secondary levels, we have very different problems. Instead of the government putting everything online and um, making all, achieving all kinds of savings, instead, really, teachers um, have been poorly informed, misinformed. The admissions about how transmission is happening in schools have come out very slowly, only after other jurisdictions have had brought in school mask mandates or have brought in um, temporary school closures. Bridget, what Bonnie Henry says about children's transmission of COVID, there's only one other world figure who agrees with her about how it works was that that's donald (laughs) trump
1: (laughs) thank you (laughs) i do i do concur with that but i do love bonnie henry she's been a truly a rock for us as far as keeping everybody calm i believe but um hey stewart how about we take another little break and come back with a bit more are you up for it Sure, that sounds great outstanding thank you we will be back with more after nine
4: we are living in stressful times. Among the hardest hit are caregivers, health care providers, and people living with dementia. If you're feeling extreme stress, the Alzheimer's Society of BC encourages you to seek extra support, such as speaking to a trusted friend, calling their First Link Dementia Helpline, or connecting with a mental health professional. Visit their Caregiver Stress webpage to read the 10 warning signs of stress and the Caregiver Stress Checklist. Find out where your stress level is at. Go to alzbc.org slash caregiver stress.
2: With community health at the forefront, Theatre Northwest is preparing for a shortened season. Instead of their usual four productions, Theatre Northwest will be presenting two shows in the late spring of 2021. The shortened season will start with a side-splitting comedy, Mums the Word, from April 16th to May 5th, followed by the pop hits of the 50s and early 60s featured in the musical The Marvelous Wonderettes, May 21st to June 9th. Tickets and passes are available by phone or online through ticketsnorthwest.com
4: the Prince George Spruce King's 39th Annual Show Home Lottery is ready for you. Built in the Aberdeen Glen subdivision by Hopson Construction, the 2,600-square-foot home comes fully furnished by Theory Hardware with appliances from Andre's Electronics and is valued at $670,000. Tickets are available by phone or online at sprucekingshowhome.ca. Tickets for two Mega 50-50 jackpots are also available. The 39th Annual Spruce King Show Home Lottery. Grand prize draw date is April 30th.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well,
1: here we are back with After 9, and we're speaking to Stuart Parker, and uh, we're talking education. So, is the word I'm thinking of correct, where it takes two generations to de-educate? Is it called demoralization? What is the term for that Stuart? um i uh, i don't
2: I, I don't know actually i i don't quite know what you're referring to um
1: uh, well, as, give me more as far as um okay so you've got an educational system and you want to you were speaking earlier about the media dummying up people um and by bringing in a system where uh you Automatically pass elementary oh. and high school students, uh, ha- and and that is just allowing. Uh, giving a child a way to cheat or to take advantage of a situation, they're always going to do that. And how could we have been so stupid to allow this to happen to our children and to just be pushing them through and, and not preparing people? Was it to create an industry of, of adult education? Um, I'm not sure what it is.
2: Well, i um, we have to remember that more and more of the, I mean, most of our jobs now are just us begging other people for money. Um, right, we've attached sales to nearly every possible job. um you know, university professors in England have to show how their courses will drive revenue during the process of course planning um so we live in a world where we aren't really doing a lot of jobs. Our jobs are actually not so much about that job, but about begging people for money in the hopes that job will be done. And so we don't... Um, so we actually don't need a highly skilled labor force to run this economy. That's what we're learning, that if all your work is call center work, um, and some people are doing it from jail, some people are doing it from their home, some people are doing it from some, you know battery-hen-type call center. The reality is that um, we can afford in this society, because we've decided not to train tradespeople, that foreigners are supposed to know trades, we'll bring them in as temporary foreign workers if something has to be built here, or we'll just build it in the Global South if it doesn't. Um, They're... uh, there's a method to this madness. In that, um, what Canada needs are workers who will accept low wages. Uh, that's how it, we have decided to structure our economy. Who is going to um, Who is going to do phone sex? Who is going to answer complaints about Amazon packages? And that doesn't have a lot to do with inculcating real literacy and critical thinking skills in fact you're less likely to fill those jobs the better people's literacy and critical thinking are so i think that instead of asking how is our education system not working the question is really for whom and how is our education system working now at the university level I mean uh in especially the southwestern BC our language of instruction is pidgin. Um the ability to, cut, to verb tense, noun number, things like that as a historian it's very hard for me to mark essays um especially at my jobs down in Vancouver because um you'd have somebody uh, pigeon, right, is where you simply take your language's grammar, and you use English words instead of your language's words. So if your language doesn't have verb tense, then you either randomly select the tense of the English verb, or you just render everything in the present tense. That's obviously going to be pretty hard to mark in a history paper, Mm -hmm. if you can't show time passing using your grammar. So... We've ended up in a situation where, in fact, if people, as instructors, and I say this from personal experience, point out that there is a crisis in terms of basic, basic communication skills, um, you'll have your job threatened and you'll be branded a racist.
1: Yes, yeah. There's, uh, there's another uh, topic for us right there is... Um, Prejudice, yes, yes, um, and and prejudice doesn't just come on a cultural basis. Prejudice comes on so many different different levels that we have to uh, really. That's not the or that is the evil that we really must be fighting. I think at the moment, right now.
2: Yes, and the irony is, of course, what I was doing was standing up for the international students, saying. You promised these people an English education. That's part of why they paid these exorbitant fees, and you're letting them down. Uh, Because as often as you have a student who sees a way to cut a corner, um, you have students who want to work really hard, who want to be good at the thing they're doing, and uh, the instructional model doesn't make that possible.
1: Exactly, or that salesman's got in there and uh, sold them a package without the prerequisite knowledge that they require to actually take the courses that they're taking. So that just sends a block into everything. Um, Yeah,
2: Langara in Vancouver is the worst, in case you're interested. What they do is they sign students to these contracts. They get here, their English skills are not at a high enough level, And then Langara doesn't just shake them down for their annual tuition. They then reveal that all their ESL courses have to be paid for separately. And so people will arrive. Their whole family fortune's been spent on them. They get to Vancouver and they discover that the people they'd hired to teach them English are refusing to do so unless they pony up more cash.
1: Oh my goodness. Wild. That's just insane. I had heard uh, through, you know, the word on the street uh, a while ago, a couple of years ago, that they were having trouble filling all the medical uh, spaces here in our, like they had, they were five months or six months from starting the year, and they were still not even half full of of medical students. Uh, does this happen often, and is it perhaps caused by the lack of prerequisite knowledge? or
2: It's caused by a Supreme Court judgment from the 80s, believe it or not. Mm. Um, I'd like to blame our elected politicians for this, but uh, until the 1980s, um, provincial governments that ran health care Um, could decide the conditions under which you would be given a government billing number. So Medicare is the insurance company, and the insurance company doesn't just give every MD its own billing number. It'll say, well, um, we we don't need MDs in Vancouver, so I'm not giving you a billing number unless you go to northern BC. I'm not giving you a billing number. And so when they could ration billing numbers and deploy them geographically we had very little trouble delivering rural health care but the supreme court of canada struck that provision down and the result was that we now have to use incentives and other methods in order to get medical people into northern canada and so the typical incentive is something like unbc's program where, right, if you agree to stay in the North, some of your tuition is defrayed, um, that you're by coming up here to study um, in this joint UBC-UNBC program, um, this puts you on a track to staying in the North, and it will cost you less to stay in the North than move back to the South. But those incentives are tiny compared to... The incentives of large practices and um, American-style uh, HMO level type et cetera, that you can get in Southern BC, and the reason for that again is not the government's fault; it's the decision by the doctors' union to not accept international credentials um, directly um, from non-white majority countries.
1: Wild. Mm-hmm. Hey Stuart, can we come back and touch on this in 10 minutes or are you awesome? Right on man. We will be back with more after 9.
4: We all need to have difficult conversations at times, especially managers. If you want to better handle these situations and achieve positive outcomes, Management Skills for Supervisors, Interpersonal Communication and Conflict Resolution is the course for you. Cost is $627 with two separate sessions starting in March. Full details and registration information are available through the Continuing Education link under Programs and Courses at cnc.bc.ca. Management Skills for Supervisors, an online course starting in January from CNC.
5: Omaneka Arts Centre needs your help. A locally-led, artist-run, not-for-profit since 2018, the Omaneka Arts Centre needs approximately $60,000 to cover this year's operating budget. A GoFundMe charity fundraising campaign has been started to generate the funds needed to continue as an important venue for the local arts community. To make your donation, visit GoFundMe.com and search for Omaneka Arts. Check out the current total and make your donation today to save Omaneka Arts Centre at GoFundMe.com.
4: Volunteer Canada has announced the theme for National Volunteer Week 2021. The value of one, the power of many reflects on the awe-inspiring acts of kindness by millions of individuals and the magic that happens when we work together towards a common purpose. Celebrate the importance of volunteerism across B.C. with the annual National Volunteer Week photo contest. Full details are available through the National Volunteer Week link at volunteerbc.bc.ca. National Volunteer Week, April 18th to 24th across Canada. The value of one the power of many. Forecast from Environment Canada.
3: A mix of sun and cloud today becoming sunny this morning. Wind to 15K, a high of 4 with a wind chill this morning to minus 11. A few clouds tonight, a fog patch is developing overnight. Wind continuing, a low of minus 9 with a wind chill to minus 12. For Tuesday, mainly sunny, wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40 in the afternoon and a high of 4.
0: You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Well, we're back here on After 9 talking with Stuart Parker about education, pre- and post-secondary education. Um, It's been very enlightening, and and please continue about uh, what we were talking about with the doctors.
2: Oh, yeah. No, uh, we are very disrespectful. Uh, So in um, most advanced countries, like Britain, doctors are not a purely self-regulating profession, because they provide something that is necessary for everyone and paying for it is the responsibility of the state um, the state Broke the power of doctors' unions to decide um, who is and is not a doctor. The state is now involved in that decision. And of course, they do the same kinds of things as these medical uh, associations do. The difference is that the government has an interest in admitting as many qualified doctors as possible. However, if you're a Canadian, uh, You look across the border, you see American doctors being paid far more. And so the Canadian uh, doctors have chosen to really try and limit the number of international credentials we easily recognize so as to keep their labor market small, to keep these constant shortages of doctors happening, because doctor shortages mean higher fees. So we've ended up in a situation where we have a declining number of doctors per capita, not because of a lack of qualified people, but because of a a political decision to get higher fees. And, of course, this has other repercussions. It means that um, general practitioners are often overwhelmed um, by the sheer number of patients they have to take on. And many of us don't have general practitioners. We have to go to clinics, which have very, very short visit times in order to uh, yeah. make sense of all this. Now, of course, clinics are often staffed by international medical graduates who are not just paying off their medical degree, they're paying off the four to five years they've spent in Canada jumping through hoops to have their own credentials recognized. We could solve the doctor shortage tomorrow if we just hired the entire graduating class of the state of Uttar Pradesh in India. If we hired all the brand new MDs from there, Canada would be a wash in doctors in a single year. But we don't. Instead, we have this laudable program here at UNBC that is working within the confines of an unsustainable, unworkable system where little short-term financial concessions are somehow supposed to secure the loyalty of someone with a very expensive degree over the course of their whole life.
1: Which seems to be the actual political and... uh total story of the province of how the government runs everything in British Columbia across the board. We've got this college of physicians and surgeons who seem to lord over uh, everything the government's bringing out new uh, um, restrictions on what people are allowed to say like naturopaths and pharmacists and chiropractors are actually restricting their ability to communicate as, as they seem to be doing with everybody Um, People are dying. There's a a horrible lack of of, uh, communication. between. uh, We're supposed to have a multidisciplinary medical system, and it seems that what they've done is they've just torn it down and made it so that there's no broad-based knowledge. Everything seems to be specialised and uh the programs and policies that they have as well as the record keeping capabilities just aren't adding up here at all we're uh, people are dying it's it's bad yeah
2: it's um, this this is a system that Canadians uh pin a lot of our identity to the problem is we pin our identity to how this system should work not how it is working uh you know the um every party except the block and the NDP um just uh, voted down a national pharmacare program it's true you can't go bankrupt um being hospitalized for cancer in canada but if you have the misfortune to be well enough to be a chemo day patient um, our chemo bankruptcies uh, rival America's and yet um, our two major parties just voted down um, even the coverage of, um, of uh, outpatient chemotherapy
1: If you can even manage to get the tests to prove that you have the cancer to begin with and we have our pharmaceutical companies feeding us drugs that are actually in fact causing cancers how, how is the uh, regulatory body uh, that's supposed to be protecting us from this uh, not functioning either?
2: Well, um, I think Canada has always favored a voluntary compliance model. So Canada, um, is, um, Canada gets a lot of investment from um, generic pharmaceutical manufacturers and from agribusiness for largely the same reasons. Um, we have traditionally had lower standards in the United States for product testing. And so the reason that um, um, our farming system can compete with heavily subsidized farming systems is because um, Monsanto gets to try its stuff here before it's demonstrated safe in most of the, the EU or the U.S., so we're the next stop after the developing world, and we um, we're similarly pretty slipshod around pharmaceuticals. Um, now, of course, we don't defend our pharmaceutical manufacturers' intellectual property, as it's called as vigorously as America does. And so if you're designing a new pharmaceutical, you still want to go to America because the state will work with you to shake people down for, you know, 1,000% markups on your products for the rest of time. But if you're knocking off a generic drug by reverse engineering it, and the patent has expired... Um, Canada's the place to do it. We put less red tape in the way. And we've always been those guys. We just, it's just that America and Europe have this myth of who Canada is supposed to be. And that myth is always bigger than who we are. So we think we test the hell out of food and drugs, Mm -hmm. and we don't. We've always been among
1: the worst. Not at all, hey? This uh, certainly isn't Tommy Douglas's uh, (laughs) idea of what our system was supposed to be like in any way, shape, or form, hey?
2: Well, and you'll remember that Tommy Douglas did want to break the power of the Doctors' Union. So he let's talk about to build that. We something like the NHS in Britain.
1: Well, and Stuart, so we've got to uh, take, we take a quick break.
2: With Douglas's plan, things would be very different.
1: Can you uh, uh, expand on that when we come back from a quick break? Sure. Outstanding. We'll be right back after nine.
4: BC's number one not-for-profit resource, Vantage Point, has developed a safety plan builder for senior services organizations. Built in consultation with senior services organizations during the early days of the pandemic, this fillable PDF tool is now available for all who may find it helpful in their ongoing safety planning and operations. You can find the safety plan builder through the resources link at the vantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point, transforming not-for-profit leadership at the VantagePoint.ca.
3: Join Life Sciences BC for Showcase Series of Vancouver Island on Thursday. It's your opportunity to learn more about Life Sciences BC, along with the cutting-edge research and development being done in the Vancouver Island area. The free event is also a networking opportunity for a wide range of guests from the political, business, and academic world. Register through the upcoming events section at lifesciencesbc.ca. The Life Sciences BC Showcase Series Vancouver Island, Thursday from 3 to 4.30 at life lifesciencesbc.ca.
4: After one year off due to COVID, the Participation Community Better Challenge is back for 2021. Did you know everything gets better when you get active? even communities participate in the challenge this june to get moving connect with others and help our community get crowned canada's most active community learn more by visiting participation.com then join in the participation community better challenge june 1st to 30th the participation community better challenge lets community better together
5: most everyone knows not to drink and drive and that even small amounts of alcohol can be risky But do we really understand that drinking small amounts of alcohol during the pregnancy can be harmful for our growing baby, even in those early weeks before the pregnancy has been confirmed? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD, is a lifelong disability that affects the brain and body of people who were exposed to alcohol in the womb. If you are pregnant or planning to be, please don't drink. There is no known safe time, safe type, or safe amount. We encourage you to see what's happening in your community to help reduce both the impact and the incidence of prenatal alcohol exposure. To learn more, please contact us at healthnexus.ca. Visit the bilingual FASD Ontario website or check out Canada's FASD Research Network. Spread the word. It's everyone's responsibility to help make pregnancies as healthy as they can be.
0: Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Well, we're back. We're back with Stuart Parker, and we're listening to some of his words on uh, Tommy Douglas, the dude.
2: So um, I was just saying, so Tommy Douglas was elected premier of Saskatchewan in the 1940s, um, and he incrementally brought in... A health insurance system quite similar to ours. It was a partial insurance system called hospital insurance, where the government insured any procedure that was done in hospital, but not in private practice, family practice, certain kinds of specialists. So, Douglas's idea was to create something like Britain's National Health Service, and that's where you break down the Doctors' Union, you get rid of their ability to determine who is qualified to be a doctor. You instead create an objective body that operates within government to do that, and And uh, he was also going to move to a system where doctors were salaried rather than um, paid by the procedure, as they are today. Um, Douglas uh, left the premiership of Saskatchewan um, during the doctor's strike that resulted from this. Right, The doctors went, no, we really want to be paid this way and we're willing to kill people to do it. And so Saskatchewan went into a prolonged doctor's strike. Douglas was succeeded by his minister, Woodrow Lloyd, who lost the next election. And he lost the election right at the time that Lester Pearson was coming into power federally. And so the designers of Medicare yes, Tommy Douglas was one of the two people holding the balance of power in the uh, federal government. But the people who designed the healthcare system in Saskatchewan were the Saskatchewan Liberal Party and the Liberal Party of Canada. And that's, and it's that system that we have nationally, where the doctors are all still private corporations. And they all still charge by the fee and uh, by the procedure. And they still have complete control over who was allowed to practice. Whereas we were going to have a system where doctors were salaried government employees. Their union had normal powers. And um, we uh, and we were operating in a wholly public system in which the doctors were not private corporations but public employees, and that's the vision that Tommy Douglas fought for. That's the vision that succeeded in Britain under Clement Attlee, and um, one of the reasons that um, you know there isn't a lot of hostility on the part of Conservatives and Liberals to the current system, is that we don't have a public health care system in Canada. We have a hybrid public-private health care system Truly. where insurance is public and everything else is private.
1: Which uh, doesn't always bode well, as we're realizing these days. So that's uh, that's just a mess that we can talk about some other day. How's that sound, Stuart?
2: <laughs> that sounds just great. The hour has uh, has flitted by. Uh, yes. It was, and I,
1: it was. It was. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you in every way possible. Say hi to Corey for me, uh, your lovely partner, Corey Hardiman.
2: All right. Well, we love you too, Echo, oh, and uh, you're you. doing a great job.
1: Oh, I appreciate it, Stuart, and uh, you bye for now, and have a great day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Stuart Parker and he is a uh, a gem in this town. I'm so happy he and his partner decided to make our lovely little town their space. He is an author and uh, has an amazing blog that I'd wish everybody to check as I said. Have your thesaurus ready? That was Stuart Parker and uh, what did you uh, What's
3: another word for thesaurus?
1: <laughs> you a silly guy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, when you think about it. I t- it's I a have thought question. about <laughs> I have thought
1: about that before. You and I sometimes think so much alike; it's scary. Yeah.
3: <laughs> one of us needs to be checked out. At yeah. least one of us yeah. needs to be checked out. Exactly. Maybe both.
1: I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we all and do. Phyllis like. is
3: sitting there going, "I've never thought about what another word for the is." So I guess I'm safe. <laughs> uh, yes. Yep, yep,
1: yep. Fantastic day today. You know mm. that that was a very good. Interview echo. Thank you. One
3: thing I just want to very quickly throw out as a reminder to people: Third Avenue, right outside our. We're getting to
1: watch a movie production. Yeah, but
3: the other thing is: Third Avenue between Quebec and Dominion is closed. Yeah. Uh, yes. They've got signs up at both ends. I think they are restricting sidewalk traffic as well. Yeah. They were, I wasn't yes. sure.
1: And now we're announcing to everybody to come out and looky-loo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. we'll have to set it's up a, a uh,
3: spot the crew uh, yeah. thing it's on the show. It's the movie um, A Great White Christmas mm-hmm. being put on by Barker Street Cinema. which is um, Norm Coyne and James Douglas, basically. Awesome. Yes. I think a lot of the people they're using here are locals, like a lot of the behind the scenes. Obviously, I think a few of the um, people in front of the cameras, I think is the term they use, Mm -hmm. are from outside Prince George but it is being shot. It is a great North Christmas. They had to truck snow in ah. to downtown Prince George. <laughs> uh.
1: Go out to Tabor and borrow their snow-making <laughs> machine. Yeah, it all looks, looks like, pretty well, clean. It yeah. certainly isn't our local snow.
3: <laughs> no, well, uh, Reg and I were talking to this a couple of days last week on the show. And I, think all, I think it also came up on the sports show on Thursday evening. Was We knew they we were going to have to do that, but we were thinking, well, you've got Hart Highland Ski Hill. You've got Otway. Yep. You've got the two arenas that are functional right now. CN Center and Rolling Concrete Arena, I believe, both have ice in, which means they scrape the ice, which means they've got snow. So you wouldn't have a trouble finding snow mm-hmm. just outside the, of the Prince George downtown core. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. for this, for this one, for a couple of days here, because this happens again tomorrow, it'll be the same. They have that uh, road blocked off. I think it is just the one block, though, just between Quebec and Dominion. Right on. Well,
1: thanks, Alan, and thanks, Phyllis, for joining me today here on the show. And uh, oh, remember it's uh, International Women's yes, Day. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So, so uh, high five or elbow elbow tap your uh, <laughs> your women friends out there who are trying to do what they're trying to do every day. So, thanks for joining us all here on Thank After you. Nine. That was Stuart Parker and uh, me, Echo Wiley, Phyllis Warren, and Alan Wishart. Wishing
0: you goodbye for today. After Nine is a daily presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca.
4: Broadcasting at 93.1 on the FM dial, this is CFIS-FM Prince George, proudly sponsored by local businesses like Timberline Footfitters on Victoria next to Wendy's.